Hello and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. From FIU Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management and the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I'm Professor Nathan Dodge. Hello. Joined by my buddies, Brian Patrick Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, Hello, stop. gentlemen. <laughs> it's not a monster truck show, Dodge, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, but I like doing it. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> at the Coliseum. Oh, Come on now, dude. All right, all right, all right. So we are moving along. We're at like episode 25. And uh, for those of you who are just finding us recently, you know, we started this conversation at the beginning of the pandemic and we're starting to roll with it. People really enjoy it. So we kept going. Um, so that was basically like where we came from. Um, we are all three professors at the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. And, you know, I think Brian wants to talk about Bacardi Land because he loves yeah, talking about Bacardi Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I like giving the quick updates. Uh, we are still roaring. We have some new content coming out, which I like to talk about for Bacardi Teach. Uh, Chef Massey and I are actually working on some uh, upskilling for people kind of as we do a little re-entry here uh, for COVID training for sanitation and proper preparation behind the bar. John's been doing it at the back of the house. So we're looking forward to that project coming out in the next few weeks or so. We'll keep you all posted. Uh, and then also we have a great next, uh, Sab, you might know who this guy is, uh, Drew Neopont joining us uh, on our next Bacardi Talks on October 8th at 1 o'clock. Uh, links are flying around on social media. The registration is open. And of course, everyone is welcome. We encourage industry, alumni, current students, and everyone to really uh, have a listen and to this great conversation with a legendary restaurateur. Uh, really some creator of some really good stuff. And uh, we love Drew because he's a great big supporter of South Beach Food and Wine Fest. So, good. But besides that, we're, we're cranking along quite nicely. Um, I'm kind of happy of where we're going. Uh, new carpeting is in uh, the uh, Bacardi uh, classroom. So that's going to be all up to date. So as soon as we can get back on campus, guys, we're going to have a hell of a space. Whenever that can't is. wait for the grand opening. Yes, we're going to do a little ribbon cutting, and whenever that happens, it might be virtually, it might not. So. Will there be Bacardi served at the ribbon cutting? I would sincerely hope so. Uh, matter of fact, I can actually guarantee that that will happen. Because remember, now we're not just drinking; we are learning. Um, John Massey, anything going on, brother? No, you mentioned the COVID training that we are doing in partnership with the. City of Miami and the DDA. Uh, I have completed two of the three live sessions. By the time we listen to this, we'll have one session left. That's going to be on Tuesday, the next Tuesday. <laughs> I think it's the what number? Help me. In, insert the is. calendar date. And we should insert calendar I think date. The 29th 20, of September. 29th. Thank you, Nathan Dodge. So it's the 29th of September. Yes, he is. And it's from 7 to 8 p.m. If you register and are a restaurant in the city of Miami, you will get, upon completion of the course, a wonderful window and door clean to say that you are awesome and are concerned for COVID safety. Uh, looking forward to that and uh, getting back into the restaurant opening at school for the advanced production class and advanced food production. We're doing Wednesdays, so make your reservations on our FIU hospitality link, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. That's kind of like uh, our TCAP sound. So we can use our own terminology on this one. So speaking of uh, Sabato, and uh, let's have a little bit of fun. So we're super stoked today, uh, not only to be joined by another industry uh, 
I'll give you a little bit of a junior legacy here, a junior junior legend status here. Uh, but uh, matter of fact, an old friend of mine from undergrad from Cornell University is joining us today, Sabato Cigar, who also happens to be uh, a master sommelier, and that's not too shabby. So we won't be kicking his ass about wine today, but we'll be asking a lot of good, good questions about the restaurant industry uh, because he's a restaurant guy. You know, he spent his time with, of course, legendary uh, Danny Meyer, recently was the president of Bar Taco out of Norwalk, Connecticut. A great brand. I know that brand well from back in the day. But, you know, Sam, first of all, welcome. It's great to see you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We'd love to hear a little bit uh, more about your career path, you know, uh, from that beverage track you took. And we're going to kind of get into it. So uh, have some fun. So welcome, Sabato. Welcome. Great to be here. Welcome. I was really, Brian, I was really hoping that... Um, I was gonna get like a Nathan introduction. Like I wanted to hear like Sabago Hagante <laughs> or something like that. Be careful what you wish for. Okay, got it. Um, well, it's an honor to be here um, with you virtually, and I can't wait to to smell that new carpet and be there in person with you someday soon. Uh, with Absolutely. that, so awesome. Um, so my career path. What do you What do you want to know, Brian? Where Where do I Where do I go with that? Where do I begin? You know, you know, we're a beverage-focused show. Uh, it's one of our focuses, one of our pillars. So, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about your career path, particularly in the beverage segment, you know? And, and I yeah. love also, you know, how you kind of grooved it all together like that because it's pretty impressive. Sure. Well, I think it, my I was first turned on to it. I think, uh, you know, at Cornell, there was that statute, the New York State law, that said you could consume wine for, quote-unquote, educational purposes before the age of 21 if you were enrolled in the hotel school. So, um, me being a, a young, one of the youngest in the class, usually, um, I took full advantage of that and did a lot of extracurricular studying and uh, was able to take the course early on in my career and then became a TA for it. And that's when I think it hit me because we'd get paid I think like five bucks an hour at the time and you get to bring home two bottles of wine. And so this was like on Wednesday. And I was like, wow, I can get paid to drink wine. This is pretty freaking cool. And those bottles would last you till like Friday, maybe Saturday. But, you know, coming home from, from class with two bottles of wine, you made a lot of friends, um, which, was, which was great. And just loved um, beverages and learning about it. And I went to the Greenbrier in West Virginia out of school. And at the Greenbrier, started cooking in the kitchen because I wanted to understand the entire uh, sort of world of, of restaurants. And... I was looking to leave actually, and I think it was three years in and the uh, food and beverage vice president of food and beverage said, you know, you can leave and there's some great opportunities. And he was one of my mentors. I told him what I was looking at because after what, like five years in West Virginia, right out of college, it leaves a little bit to be desired. Uh, so I, he said, you know, if you want to leave, I, I get it. There's some great opportunities that you're looking at, but if you want to stay, we have the wine director position open and would love to have you um, uh, to take that on if, if you'd like to. Uh, and I was like, wow, that was like way over my head to, to do that. And he said, you know, we'll um, help mentor you. You get to, you know, go to France and Italy and you can learn um, there. And in addition, um, you know, he was uh, on the board of uh, the CIA and Kevin Zarelli was as well. So he sent me to New York to, to work with um, Kevin Zarelli at Windows on the World um, for a uh, a week or so and so they really invested in my growth and that's helped give me the foundation and you know teaching people about wine because I was learning on the job and whatever I was learning I was then teaching my team that same week so it was pretty quick in and, and right back out um, not that you 
and your esteemed um, teaching do anything near like that. But I was, I was an amateur. Um, So yeah, I did that. And that was uh, a lot of fun and and learned a lot during that time and um, went on to take my advanced class uh, course. And I passed that in the the court of master sommeliers. And then I said, wow, West Virginia is, um, is too small. I got to change the scenery. So I hopped over the hill and went to rural Virginia, um, a little place called the Inn of Little Washington, um, Washington, Virginia, population, I think like 115, although there was a, a pregnant woman there when I left, so maybe it's 116 now, um, or it's gone up since then, but uh, I was the wine director of the Inn of Little Washington for two years because I really wanted to focus on what it was like to work in a five-star restaurant running a Grand Award wine program, and that was really awesome to, to see that. So. Um, at the end of it, I ended up spending nine years in the two Virginias um, overseeing wine programs at, at uh, those two properties. So it was pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. So, really, when I think of high wine places, I'm thinking West Virginia. So, really- so I did judge hey. it. So one of the things, it's not on my resume yeah. anymore, but I did judge the homemade wine competition at the West Virginia State Fair uh, at some point early on in my career. And I use the term wine very loosely um in that term so were there banjos hey, hey the greenbrier <laughs> is a landmark property in the u.s absolutely <laughs> both properties absolutely. Are, are legendary yeah and that's why we gave that's why we gave sab that little bit of a legendary status yes a little yes. bit yeah <laughs> in, in west virginia <laughs> well so sabato then you 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 left there and you you, you moved off to the big city we're going to call the, uh, you know, Union Square Hospitality Group and Bar Taco, the big city. Yeah. Um, so what's going on there? What was, talk about your, the people there, the growth, innovation. Um, yeah, really, let me, uh, there's actually. You're going to go to Aspen. Stop. What about Aspen? Yeah. I didn't know yeah. about Aspen. I did, yeah. I only lived in places uh, that John Denver sang about before I moved uh, to New York, actually. So uh, I went up to Aspen. Um, I was, yeah, after nine years in the two Virginias, definitely needed a change and headed up to Aspen, where I was the food and beverage director at the Little Nell. And uh, at that point, I was actually burnt out on wine. Um, I didn't think I wanted to, to do that anymore. It was too monotonous. And I thought by going to Aspen and the Little Nell, it had a grand award program. They really focused on beverage, but also a great um, hotel, five stars. And so I felt that I could still be involved in it, but not have that solely be my day-to-day focus. I enjoyed the, the three-ring circus of of being a food and beverage director. So while I was there, that's when I took my master's sommelier exam and ended up passing. And while I was there, I think we had five people go on to pass. And I gave the, my team a hard time because they were all psalms and they were, you know, tasting wine. And that was what they did day in, day out. I had a day job. And so I had to be studying after uh, afterwards and um, end up passing and wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So that was pretty amazing. And that's where I met Danny. And he um, over food and wine. And we built a relationship over you know several years. And that's what um, drew me to New York. And Aspen was actually the largest city post-college I lived in before I moved to New York City. So um, talk about going to the big city. It definitely was a trip. We consider Ithaca a big city, guys, just FYI. Booming metropolis, yes. It is a booming metropolis, indeed. Um, so I was saying, let's talk about your time with Union Square Hospitality and Bar Taco, and really the good, the bad, the el- ugly of, of really those companies. I think, you know, there's more, I can't really think of much ugly, but on the good, the good side, um, it was 
they were both growth companies and they're both, um, we'll start with USHG. I mean, that was a company that I'd always looked up to my whole career, you know, read the book when it came out and had had, you know, one of our friends, Randy, uh, a couple, Randy from uh, Grudy from uh, Cornell. He was in our class, uh, Brian. He had uh, had gone to work with Danny. Was I remember whenever I'd be in the city, I'd swing by Tablo where he was the GM at the time and, and catch up. And it was just, uh, you know, wanted to really work with the greats. And when I started, we had eight restaurants. And so being able to work with uh, the team there and actually grow it to 17 over the four years I was there, that was really eye-opening, working with some extremely talented individuals uh, on all levels, uh, opening restaurants, New York Times, restaurant reviews, and really helping kind of strengthen the foundation for the group to continue to grow. Uh, Shake Shack was still part of it at that time. Shake Shack kind of grew up and left the house and saw them on holidays and such, but uh, it was it was really awesome. We launched the No Tipping uh, Initiative, Hospitality Included, during that time, which was an amazing learning experience and made a lot of uh, great friends, peers in the industry within USHG and, and also learned about management and how to, to, to myself uh, in that process as well and knew that, you know, in the old days, great, you just, if I need to get something done, you can muscle it. When you're overseeing a project or a, a company of that size, you really need to trust and delegate with your team and help clearly articulate your uh, your desires and, and needs and, and check back and, and accountability. And, you know, I struggled with that at, at certain points throughout that, but I look back on it. And when I went to, to Bar Taco, any of the things that took all the great stuff and the areas that I maybe struggled with said, hey. What can I do even better here uh, on the Bar Taco side? And reinvested that and press reset, and um, really was an exciting. It was an eye-opening uh, time for transitioning from one big role to the next. And at uh, Bar Taco, uh, Unisquare Hospitality Group, I could get to any restaurant within thirty minutes because just hop on the subway, you're there. Bar Taco, we were spread out over thirteen states, and so learning how to lead a call. I feel your pain about teaching virtually. I was leading a call every other week with uh, 70 people on their uh, video call and trying to keep people engaged and, and uh, present and not just be, okay, here we go. I'm just going to put this on mute and you know check my phone on the side. It was challenging, but it was also a chance to inject culture into those folks because if I was only seeing them, you know, uh, half, half a dozen times throughout the year, wanting to make the most of every single interaction to help them understand they're a part of something that's much greater than the day-to-day that's in, in their restaurant. So um, it was a lot of fun as well and got to drink a lot of tequila, um, which was <laughs> full circle to being- Amen, to amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Seth, you know, I got to interject a little bit here because I'm just curious. Now, I, I remember getting an email from you saying, you know, I've had a great run uh, with Union Square Hospitality. Uh, where you were the chief restaurant officer, which is a hell of a great title to have, mm-hmm. um, and then opening all those restaurants. And then how did Bar Taco, a developing brand, how did they get you away from, you know, Danny Meyer, who we we all still think is one of the kings of hospitality? I 100% agree. He still is, and he's uh, the, the reigning champ. Uh, how? So after four years there, you know, we were at a, a point where we were um, – kind of looking to see uh, how we evolved into that next chapter of it. And I had seen over the years, you know, when, when Shake Shack um, went, went public and seeing sort of the changing in the rest, restaurant landscape, 
I'd grown independent restaurants and, and opened that. I'd run a collection of restaurants. I'd never scaled one brand. We had two blue smokes, but that was the extent of it. And so really seeing how the industry was shifting and, and you know, QSR was, you know, everyone was trying to get in that game afterwards, um, seeing the success of Chipotle, of Shake Shack, and you saw a lot of uh, celebrity chefs saying, I got to get in the, the, the QSR game. And you also saw with the rising labor costs in New York, other people say, I have to get into fine dining. But I really saw that the, the niche that was ready, that was ripe for reinvention was that mid-tier full-service restaurant. Um, you had some chains that have been around for quite some time, but I don't think there was anything that was new and exciting there. And so when I saw Bar Taco and a chance to, to take a, a brand that had 13 restaurants at that time and a clear growth path to take it in and scale that, not just from a the number of units, but also from a culture standpoint, from a, um, a quality standpoint, and really reshape and, and disrupt that that segment of the industry. So, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. And knowing that it was right in my backyard made it even that much that much um, more enticing to do. So, I had Brian on my restaurant management class earlier this morning, talking about a lot of things revolving around the bar. And one of the things we we touched on was technology and the evolution of technology and how it can, certain parts of it can help potentially, whether it be in the bar management or, or for our students, some of them personally with uh, different apps to, whether it be managing their seller, uh, building a seller, something like that. So my question is, what are your thoughts on the use of technology and any recommendations or thoughts on the overall use of technology in the uh, bar wine segment. Mm -hmm. um, and by technology, you mean something aside from Excel, I'm assuming, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're you know, we're, yeah. we're getting head, heads in first with uh, all of our Zooms today, but yes, yes. something other um, than that. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'll give sort of one sort of thing that kind of segues into technology that was uh, learning, and then I'll, I'll get to the kind of the apps and software, but. As we were growing, you know, we would sell, you know, 80% of our beverage sales were, were margaritas. And that was our signature cocktail. You order a margarita, we take two limes out, we juice them to order. Um, we had a combier, which was our triple sec. And we had a agave, uh, agave syrup that would go in there and tequila and shake it and, and serve it up. And they were freaking delicious. But every time we'd go out, go to a, a visit a, one of our restaurants, I'd, you know, have each of the bartenders make a, a margarita and they'd write their name on a napkin, turn upside down, and we'd do the Pepsi challenge. Nobody knew whose it was, and we'd all taste them. There was so much fluctuation in those. I'm like, wow, if we're seeing this with four people behind the bar, the exact same moment, making the exact same cocktail that they'd made thousands of times before, we got to do better than that. So we started dissecting, figuring out where the, the, the variation was coming from, and it was the fact that we were using agave syrup. And so well, the reason was we jiggered everything. And when you jigger agave uh, syrup, it sticks in there. And depending on the temperature, the humidity, the climate um, that the, the bar is located in, that would impact the, the flavor. You know, how much was the, the tip cut off of the, uh, um, the squeeze bottle, et cetera. So many. So we tried to, to isolate that. So we switched to making a agave simple syrup instead because that flows much easier out of there. We tweaked the recipe. And then we said, well, how do we actually, you know, taste is one thing, but how do we really dial it in and calibrate it? And so going back to my wine days, we were serving, by the way, like 2% of our sales was wine at Bar Tacos. So people were like, why are you in the, 
you know, beverage background, why, why are you selling tacos? And so I pulled out um, a refractometer, you know, that they use when they harvest grapes to test these sugar levels. And that tells, uh, you know, how much sugar is in the grapes, uh, which then tells them how much uh, alcohol would be in the, the wine if they fermented dry, et cetera. So started using the refractometer to dial in the bricks level um, in our margaritas to figure out what the perfect margarita was to get it consistent. So that was taking the technology away from just taste and kind of using a refractometer for consistency. So that was a little side story, but something that applies to both beverage and, and that consistency. Um, the technology and apps, absolutely. I think those are extremely relevant. I mean, when you think of a, a P&L and it's really in the beverage business or the restaurant business, it's a game of pennies and every penny matters and being able to hone in on that. And under, instead of just looking at a P&L and saying, what does my beverage cost? Well, there's so many other variables that you should be looking at in addition to that. You know, what is turning? You know, it's, it's an investment. If I'm putting cash in somewhere, am I just putting cash so I can put up on a shelf to gather dust? like that bottle of Galliano that you have on your back bar? <laughs> or is it looking at what's actually turning and saying, maybe I don't need a case of that Galliano. Maybe I just need a half bottle. And I could actually use that money to buy uh, other things in, in higher case quantities to get better breaks that I'm turning and moving through quickly. So being able to have the ability to analyze your inventory is one thing. Also, I think when it comes to, um, and this was at Bar Taco, we used... Um, uh, a software there um, to to do our inventory, but also gave us a theoretical beverage cost. And so on a weekly basis, we would do our liquor inventory and allowed us to really catch those errors and those fluctuations before it got to the end of the period and we could help solve it and dial it in. So I think technology is huge um, on that to make sure that you're putting the money where it should be and that you're getting the most use out of the money and being able to catch problems before they um, they really get out of control um, and that period's been closed. Excellent. See, now, John, doesn't that sound a lot like the lecture I did this morning? You know, you, know, uh, <laughs> you two are stirring, as we say in the kitchen, you two are stirring the same sauce. Mm -hmm. And I love the story about the, the four different margaritas. And it's yeah. something that in, whether it be in the bar or in the kitchen, you've got to get that consistency. Because so I love the, deep, the deeper dive that you did into it. And... If more people would, in this business, would take that time and attention to detail, they'd be more successful. Mm -hmm. Dodgy. Scary, but true. Um, so, uh, Sabato, you, you have, you're a master sommelier, um, which I think is better than Brian. So, you know, Brian's always talking about his sommelier experience. but uh -huh. definitely I'm a, wine, I'm a wine educator, all right, kid? That's... Uh... I don't know, Sad. You're not on the floor either, so I don't use ever use the title of some. I just say I'm, I'm retired. Yeah, I'm a exactly. Born again I, I actually, sommelier. I say I'm a recovering sommelier. That's all I say. And I, I'm just a wine educator. that likes to tell great stories. You know. Sorry, no, Dodge. Now go, okay. go with your question. Well, my question was this: So um, we do have a wine program. We've got a, we now have a beverage program, and in my class. Um, I'm teaching a class on uh, fine spirits, and at the end of this, they can go and sit for their certified spirits specialist certifications. And there's the sommelier, there's the Cicero. Tell me like how good are these certifications compared to, you know, just walking out with a degree in hospitality. What do these certificate certifications do that makes you special? You get a piece of paper and a pen. 
um, that's pretty much it. But I think in all seriousness, some people like to take that path. Some people don't. Uh, I have some uh, amazing friends that are extremely talented, more talented than I am on the wine side that have never taken a um, master's sommelier exam in, in their lives. For me, the reason that I was drawn to the program was as I went through it, I was in, in West Virginia when I took my intro and my advanced exam and passed those. So the wine community I was surrounded by was me and the guy I was looking at in the mirror. There was really no one else that I was tasting with or studying with on my own. So for me, the court was a way that I could train. It's almost like the Olympics. You train for a couple of years, and then you go out and you see what you got, how you stack up to the other people uh, around the industry. And it gave me structure. It gave me milestones. And I needed a deadline to help continue to push myself forward. It also opened me up to a greater community as I got to Aspen and realizing that if I was actually a part of that community, I was studying with others. It forced me to, to study uh, and pushed me harder than I could push myself. So that's how I went about it and the value it added to my career. But it's really up to others. And I think for those people that just say, I have to get this exam and that's, I have to pass that exam and that's the sole focus of it. I think that's the wrong approach because I think at the end of the day, I'm proud to say that the passing the master sommelier exam was not the pinnacle of my career, but it was hopefully one of many great things that I will continue to go on to do in my career. And if you're just focused on that and on passing an exam and getting a pin, you're missing out on all the other stuff that's happening around you in your restaurant and the business. And if you're not getting those at that time in your career, then you go to that time and say, great, I passed my exam. Now what? And all you've been able to show is that you can run a beverage program. I think that actually narrows your focus and the opportunity of what you can do down the road. So I think it's making sure that you're cross-training all through the way and that you're learning about food costs. You're learning about, you know, people management, which is, I think, one of the biggest things that a lot of sums in, in courses like the court don't teach is how to manage people and we're in the people business. And I think that's extremely important. Cool. Cool. Let me add a little something to that too. Um, you know, Dodge and I were talking yesterday. He was doing a favor. We had to move my boat around. He came over. This is stuff we talk about early in the morning. We were talking about certifications. We're going to be offering uh, our goal is the intro of Eric Hemer and his team uh, down here in South Florida. And we started talking about it to our students, you know, Sab, you know, what do you think is going to be our great marketing tool to really kind of now our students understand the resumeable, there we go. The resumeable. Not a word. Hey, there we go. Not a word. I don't care. That was good. Don Fagman is going to listen to this. I just pat myself on the back. But anyway, but so, but the resumeable uh, T, how's that guys, of having a certification? I mean, does that open doors? Particularly now, let's go back, you know, 20 some odd years ago when you and I were up in Ithaca and kind of starting our careers, you know, what would you do? Would you do anything different about that then? Or would you start earlier? Um, I don't think legally I could have started earlier. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, I would have loved to. Uh, I think there definitely is value to it. And if I'm looking at a resume and I see that at some point that they've gone through the, the court, it tells me that they have a, uh, a, a a foundation of beverage knowledge. And I'm not looking for that person to, and even if it's like a general manager or a chef, it, you know, especially chefs, wow, you went out and you took this, that shows me that you have a desire to learn, step outside of your comfort zone. And that's awesome. And I applaud that. And it shows me that you have that, that hunger to learn means that 
working together, we can help, you know, coach and develop and, and continue to develop, um, which is which is amazing skill to have in, in a team around you. I think also on the front of house side, I want my general manager to also understand the importance of, uh, you know, beverage costs, running a beverage program. I want them to be able to be articulate at the table when they're talking with a, a guest and they're saying, hey, I'm curious about this um, this white burgundy or, or this Bordeaux to, to understand what that guest is and speak, speak their language to it. So I think it's a, a great foundational uh, tool to have. And whether you're getting it through the court or otherwise, I think it's important to, to add to that. Thank you very much. And when we look at your resume, it, it, it is top notch, really. Oh, the, the people that you've worked with are unbelievable. And we, we have lots of guests on the show. We ask them, you know, what are your keys to success? And what advice would you have for our students if they want to follow in that path? We've asked that question a couple of times. But, but for you, I, 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 I want to know, is there, can you point to anything different that you've done or how you've handled yourself in dealing with people uh, like the, the the Greenbrier, like uh, like Danny Meyer, like Bar Taco, how did? Is there anything else that you could add that that you feel gave you the what what I consider some very unique and super high end, top notch opportunities? Great question. Um, it has to go back to resume ability. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Resumeability, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. We're going to add that to the dictionary. Uh, we'll Thank send in the note much. this week. Yes. That's not an acceptable Scrabble word. I just Googled it, by the way. So, <laughs> um, so anything else to add to that? Um, you know, for yeah. me, as I look back on this, as you were asking the question, I was, I was going back in my mind and I was thinking about the transition at every point of those transitions. And everyone, I was like, this is going to be a big step for me. And it was almost like biting off a little more than I could chew. And I think mm. with it, there comes a, a humbleness and an awareness of having to know what you know, and also more importantly, what you don't know. And, you know, to, to go to a, you know, Greenbrier out of college, I'm a, you know, 21 year old kid. Um, I was 23 when I was running the beverage program there. And I have bus boys that are, 65 years old. All they've done is bus boys, been, been bus boys. I had um, wine captains, and I say that in quotes because they were captains. And when you were a captain, you were just kind of running your station. But then wine became somewhat popular in the 80s, and they end up taking care of wine. Many of them never drank wine. They, they, I'm not like I remember doing a tasting, and there was this one guy in the back who's probably in his 60s. And I'm like, why aren't you tasting along? He's like, I ain't tasted nothing unless there's Jim Beam in my glass. I was like, okay. So <laughs> it, yeah. it humbles you and, and it's okay. How can I connect with those individuals? And, and the Greenbrier especially was a, a union hotel and going in there, the union says, you know, union management, you have to treat everybody the same. But I found that by treating people as individuals was able to connect with them on a very different level and learn from them, become more of a partner rather than treating it like the masses. And I think doing that in every situation and, and you know, going into a job, the more questions you ask that uh, first month or two months, that is what shows vulnerability. It's what allows people to open up and show you the way rather than assuming you know it. And then you're just mm -hmm. like, it gets to a certain point where you're like, 
I guess I got to fake it now because I fooled everybody up to this point and I can't go back and ask that question that they thought I knew for, you know, the past two or three months. So sure. I think doing that is, is very important in, in utilizing the people around you, because if you think you have all the answers, um, you definitely don't. And you're not utilizing some of your greatest assets. And those are the people that are around you or that've been there before. And the green bar was 235 years old. Uh, the Nell was 30 years old. The Inlet of Washington, I think it's almost like 40. Bar Taco had been there for 20 years. So they withstood the test of time for a reason. And for me to go in and think, oh, I got all the answers, that would have been irresponsible for me, for the the restaurants and those companies and the legacy that will live on long after I am. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That, is, that is huge. Yeah. Thank you, Sab. So, uh, well, you know, we're, we're gonna, I know we're going to get into the fun stuff, but we missed out on one part, you know. So, Sabato, uh, we all have a mutual friend here on uh, Two Bar Stools and a Knife, uh, Mr. Lars Light. Uh, you know, we all love Uncle Lars, uh, our Fernet brother uh, from another mother. But, you know, I did ask Lars Light this question. Uh, how often do you get recognized from the movie song and all the series of the movie song? Um, more often than I would... Uh would have guessed and my girlfriend hates it um <laughs> sitting there having dinner and then somebody comes over and, and says that um but it's uh it's it's humbling um and it's uh yeah it's 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 fun i kind of i get a little uh embarrassed about it but it's it's an honor and it was you know great to, to be a part of those and just still really bitter that the academy snubbed me for the uh, <laughs> award for best bald supporting um, actor in a documentary about sommeliers. Not once, not twice, but three times. So Three times. Um, three, times. Yeah, three, three times. Yeah. I know. I know. And I remember when you were filming the one in 2011, you, you sent a note or something like that. You're like, you got to check out this little crazy documentary. I'm like, okay, that sounds great, Seth. Good luck. And look at that, yeah. you know, it turn, turned into a, a phenomenon. So that's good. None of you. us, yeah, none of us knew what it would become or what it was all about. And I look back on it. And one thing that's interesting is that um, as I was going through this exam process, uh, my parents were like, okay, yeah, go study. They wanted me to get a, my, they both have PhDs. They're both professors. And they wanted me to at least get my, you know, go to uh, get my master's. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go in the restaurant business. And I'm drinking wine. Or I have to go to this wine tasting. And then I saw the movie Psalm with my dad. Uh, he was at a, at a premiere in Denver. And we walked out and he said, now I understand what you were going after and the magnitude that that has in your industry. And that was not that I was looking for validation, but it showed me that he had no idea what I was going after or about my industry. And it, in some ways it, it, it validates like that was your PhD. That's awesome. And, and so proud. And so I say that not because of that connection with my dad, but if it can actually show other people out there and that there is a career path to go down the beverage world and that it helps other parents understand the passion that their children are chasing, then that's using a platform like that for good. And if so that's, that's, uh, um, we're honored to be in that. And I, I made some amazing friends on that journey and to be able to memorialize that uh, part of my life in those movies has been um, something I'll, I'll always have. That's great. Good stuff. Cool. All right. Thank you. And thank you, uh, Uncle Lars, because it's always fun to go down uh, amnesia yes. with you guys on that stuff. So let's get into a little bit here. This is called our speed rail, Mr. Sabato. Uh, this is where we have a little bit of fun. We also do a little bit of light stalking. 
So uh, after perusing your uh, close and approaching uh, 9,000 followers on Instagram, uh, wow. you guys did not know, and we've heard some hints along the way today. Uh, actually, Sab, I think I was your teaching assistant in your first culinary classes. You've come a long That's way, right. my friend. That is right. You've come a long way, my oh friend. Oh, my God. All right. So if you have not stalked Sabato on Instagram yet, uh, Casa de Sab, he has got some Chef Massey phenomenal photos. I'm talking okay. dynamite stuff that even inspires me as a reformed chef. But so today we're going to dedicate this one to a cooking with Sab, uh, but it's going to be Sabato versus the world. So of course now we're going to have our friends, uh, Nathan Eugene Dodge and John Noble Massey pitching in here. Uh, now, Nathan, now we know you're not uh -oh. the same culinary chops. So there is going to be a hey, uh, chicken uh, fingers for dinner tonight. So just keep that's that about in mind. right. Okay, but I want some marinara on there, some mozzarella, and you've got uh, chicken uh, parmesan. There you exactly. Go. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Boom! But Dodgy, now we're going to want your beverage input, and as Ooh. well from all of us, we're going to have our beverage of choice uh, on this one. But uh, after some lights, and then of course we have our uh, traditional question. We'll be uh, wrapping up with for our favorite beverage professionals. Now there is one catch, gentlemen. Uh, there is one yes. catch. If you would like to take, because this is going to be a this or that type question, Sab, uh, if you want to interject a story that might have to do with this or that question, you're more than welcome to. All right? So it's a this or that or a story, and Dodge, be on cue for your beverage of choice. All right. So we broke this down, gentlemen, to winter, spring, summer, and fall. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Oh. Do we have this call? Uh, there you go. All right. See? Come on. You got to pick up on these things. So we're going to start out because we're going to go with the, uh, the melody of the music here uh, in winter. All right. We're going to winter first. All right. And now braised items. I know Chef Massey and I love, love, love to braise. All right. Uh, Sab, you're unfortunately in New York. It's getting cold up there. But, you know, a nice braised lamb shank is choice one. All right. And we're going to go around. Dodge, you see your face. We had smell vision Or remember, this is Sab against the world. I don't know about you guys. Francis Melman's salted roasted chicken. Now, Sab, we'll give you a little bit of time. Dodge, we'll give you a little bit of time to think about a beverage with that one. John Noble Massey, you're going to go braised lamb shank or Francis Melman against Sabato? I'm going to go with C, none of the above. I love Asabuco. <laughs> I'm Italian, so give me some Asabuco, please. All right, all right, all right. So, Sab, where are you going to go with that one? So I have to choose between lamb shanks or Malman. Yeah, or Francis Malman, which I did do some light stalking, and I yeah. know you've met him quite a few times. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you're going to have Francis Malman in my apartment, like building a bonfire, cooking me a salted chicken, I'm going to take that seven days out of the week. Okay, but it's going to get worse, so you better be smart about this. Oh, one okay. Now, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get worse. So, all right, Francis Millman, and then Massey's going on his own – uh, CIA yeah, little saying. world up there. That's fine. Yeah, All right, Nathan, Eugene, right. Dodge, where are you going to pair this with? I'm very curious now. Well, if I do the um, the uh, the lamb, I'm going to pair it with an EpiPen because I am very allergic. So <laughs> <laughs> easy one on that one. Um, you know, uh, I, we'll, we'll do a nice Chardonnay, I think, for the um, the. The chicken uh, for the asabuco. You know me; I love a huge, big red something you punch you in the face. Um, mm. Do a really. I nice, like it. Yeah, this is nice very impressive for our spirits professor. Now, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty yes. good. 
All right, good. So we went winter. We're going to spring now. All right. So Sabato's done some phenomenal five spice duck wraps uh, on his Instagram that looked very delicioso. Okay. Uh, but you know, and I was like, damn, bro, that's pretty damn good. I mean, the photography, the whole nine yards is pretty good. But let's put him up against Thomas Keller. Uh, so if we're gonna do our salmon, uh, his little salmon crisp, his cornets. Uh, which if you ever get to French Laundry, which I'm going to, I know Nathan and I have been to Per Se together. Uh, French Laundry, I think I'm going in October if I can make it out to California. Which way are you going here, guys? Uh, let's go up to Chef uh, John Noble Massey or a story, John. You can throw in a story. What you do? You know, well, the story is, I mean, we serve a smoked duck breast with the five uh the, the the five spice asian blend at our dinner that you and i did for joseph phelps oh yes uh, yeah, but in honor of uh, thomas keller my fellow cia grad i've got to go oh, to Santa coronets all right all right sam where you going i told you it's gonna get worse i'm taking mine over over the ah! all right so dodge you got a little bit of a challenge here you got five spice you got duck and you got salmon where are you going my brother all right, for the, for the salmon, it's pretty simple. We're going to do something bubbles. Um, Got to have bubbles. Oh? Yeah, there's okay, really no, no other question about it. I think with the Fife Spice, so today in class, for my students who are listening right now, we were talking gin. And a gin martini, Bombay Sapphire, we have the grains of paradise. Um, that really has a nice spice that will add, yes. I think that the, the spice would add some nice with the duck. So a gin martini, oh. uh, stirred, not shaken. I'm not James Bond. Um, take the vermouth, wave it around the glass, dump it down the drain, two olives, not any type of cheese stuff. I don't like my uh, gin getting gross. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> impressive. All right. Nathan That's dodged good. two points in the board. That was pretty good Thank on you. that one. So we're, uh, we're heading into summer here. So remember now, you can always uh, go with the story here, and I'm going through a little bit myself. But we're can I just say rosé right, right now if we're going to talk summer? Yeah, well, come on. Come my on. life a lot easier. Come on now. Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll throw this one to Sav for his beverage pairing. But Sabato and me being a, a true uh, son of New England, as well as Nathan Eugene Dodge up there, you did a phenomenal photo shoot of your New England lobster bake. Uh, really, really impressive. All right. But now I just got, uh, Sam, I got married. Um, Congratulations. Got, thank you, my brother. There's um, someone for everyone. I'm, thank I'm you, honored, man. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know, we all, you know, us smart guys, we wait a long time, so it's okay. Uh, but so I was up in Rhode Island, uh, which is my second home, uh, and, uh, you know, striped bass is running. My boys went out to catch it. And, you know, our friend Danielle Ballou uh, does a phenomenal, phenomenal Straight bass that's going to be rolled in potato, served uh, over a potato puree uh, with leeks, as well as a red wine demi-glace. So now, this is summertime. So, Chef, where are we going up there in the corner? Chef John Noble Massey, you're going to go the traditional clam bake, or are we going to Danielle? You know, I, I feel bad because I'm not going with Sabato's uh, delicious food, which I'm sure is amazing. And when you get down to our neck of the woods, you've got to cook or we got to hop in the same kitchen and cook together. But Daniel Balud is my favorite chef over Thomas Keller and his uh, sea bass with, uh, with the Merlot sauce, I've actually tried to replicate at home. And it is a challenging dish to replicate. Talk about your, 
your four different uh, results with the margaritas. I've made it twice now and trying to perfect that dish. And I love it. And yeah, even better, fabulous. even better at Danielle if you're if he's cooking it rather than me. Yeah. So now, Sab, uh, we'll give Nathan Dodge a little break here on the beverage course. So you're gonna well, have can I talk about pairing. food? Can I talk about food or no? I, okay, never mind. No. Right? Um, is, he here? is he here? No, I'm gonna tell you guys a good story that I've never actually told uh, broadcast uh, ever. Uh, this is also uh, goes back to uh, Cornell University. So my chef, uh, Chef Brian Halloran. Uh, my beloved chef, text me today, as a matter of fact, to check up on me. That's how your chefs do it. Uh, when Chef Halloran was retiring uh, in around 2000, Danielle was his final guest chef. Remember that course, Seth? Mm-hmm. Uh, his final guest chef was there, and it was Danielle. And he called me up. I was in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, as the wine director, food and beverage director there. And he said, and, and, hey, get the guys up here. Come up and work with us uh, for the final uh, guest chef of this. I said, Absolutely. And he had a hell of a lineup. Uh, he had Cornelius Gallagher, you know, all these other guys with them up there. And, you know, we're all, and I'm back in my whites and back on the line. And we've had this phenomenal evening. But, Sab, you're going to appreciate this for a great story about Danielle because it's one of my favorite dishes. Is that we're, we all had an after hours party uh, on College Ave there, uh, downtown in College Town. And at late night, um, I don't know how they got in, and that would be a mystery forever, but someone knew how to get in back into the Statler's kitchen. Uh, no one that you would know, Sab, don't worry. Uh, know how to get back into Statler's kitchen, uh, taking uh, morel mushrooms, a flat of eggs, and caviar. And at about three in the morning, Chef Daniel Ballou is cooking uh, eggs, caviar, morel mushrooms for everyone at this after party. And as he reaches up to grab a cabinet, true story, the whole cabinet door falls off on top of him. Uh, and it, then we're sitting around eating out of a hot pan with plastic knife and fork. Talk about good college living. So, all right. So I had to get that story. It was great. Uh, so Eugene wow. Dodge, what do you want to do for your food? The uh, New England boiled dinner here. No, I'm going to go that way. But Our lobster bake or our Danielle, where are you going? So, you know, you, you brought up the clam bake and all I can think of is going up and visiting my uncle Sam and Aunt Abby on the Damariscotta River in Maine and just gorging myself on on big clams and lobster and that's that is summer to me that's what i remember of summer is going up being on the lake um or in the river uh water skiing and and mm. freezing my tail off and oh no it's so warm it's july no 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 that water is 50 degrees come down to florida in january that's warm so yeah it, it's got to be the clam bake Perfect. So, Sab, you got to do a little wine pairing here. So, what are you going to pair up, or what did you pair up with your uh, New England lobster bake, and then, of course, with Danielle's dish? So, with um, that uh, lobster bake, um, I think we did like rose. I think we did rose champagne, and then we did um, a bunch of different roses. To me, like rose is the corona of wines, where it just like changes your whole latitude, and it's not really what is in. It's just delicious it's not really one that you that's uh it's more quaffable than it is more sort of um uh contemplative and so we did rosé which was awesome and so that's what i would do for for that and i think that's a great choice by the way uh nathan the uh the clam bake because it was freaking delicious God, I love it. and <laughs> uh the for danielle's dish while it does have more uh this is one where, you know, when I was a, a wine director, I loved doing the Pepsi challenge with people and you'd put like the, the two wines next to them. 
And this is one where I would look to go both white burgundy and red burgundy side by side. And if you wanted to get um, really fancy, you could maybe even do um, from the same village. So do like a red chasson and then a white chasson. And that way you have the red wine sauce. So you can kind of see how that plays together with the truffles. And then you also have uh, white burgundy, which I think goes fa fabulously with truffles. So I think that's a, a fun way to, to do that. Good. That's fantastic. You know, a little, that's two times reference to the Pepsi challenge. I'm digging. So last but not least, because Sabatil, you're heading into fall. It's got to be getting a little chilly uh, up in New York City there. Uh, so one of my favorite fall dishes to always do, this is going to be a little tough one, guys, uh, is going to be a classic French roasted chicken. I saw that a few different times on your Instagram page, but we got to go up against a heavy hitter here. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, and La Bernadette just reopened up in New York. Uh, our friend Eric Repair. I have not met Eric yet. I look forward to someday. But Eric Repair's bouillabaisse. So, Johnny, uh, this is a tough one here. We're sticking with the food on this round, gentlemen. What's it going to be? We're going to go classic roasted chicken or are we going bouillabaisse? Hmm. Well, I think I'll go with uh, Sabato on this one and have his uh, classic roast chicken. I, You know, there's something sim simple and simplicity in a beautifully roasted chicken done right crispy skin moist uh moist meat inside cooked perfectly and i have every confidence that sabato would blow that away oh right for, there. For, for fall. good nathan eugene dodge what's going to be a bouillabaisse or a classic french roasted chicken so we go over to my parents house most most every sunday and dad cooks a lot of roasted chicken with the the root vegetables and potatoes and it is delicious but I love a bouillabaisse. It's one of those oh. things I don't get very often. And when I do, I, oh, I can tear that up. That's some great crusty bread. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. All right. And remember, we got one more question coming after this. So, Sabato, what's it going to be? Are you going to stick with your tried and true? Or are you going to be going over to Eric Robert? That's a great question. I mean, I think spatchcocking a chicken, mm. using a, a thermometer in there to make sure you nail the internal temperature is like textbook every time um however it's not every and i know i just said seafood for the last course but it's not every day that i have um eric repair at my house cooking a bouillabaisse um while francis Melman is roasting that salted <laughs> chicken outside so that's kind of where i'm gonna go oh, yeah. with that i'm gonna i'm gonna go with uh chef repair <laughs> and Danielle's losing a cabinet in your kitchen there. So. All right, what so. year was that wait just a quick story there brian was that around oh one yes sir I think I know whose apartment that was. Uh, Hollis uh -oh. Silverman was with me too. She was there. Uh -oh. it, was, it was a bunch of characters. I think it uh, was Will Gadera's apartment because Will has. Uh -oh. um, I think you're right. Told me that story about uh, Danielle after that chess class. So I think it was Will. Yeah, there you go. Of, uh, yeah. Uh, if, if you guys don't know who Will, uh, he's done pretty well with uh, Eleven Madison mm -hmm. Park and a few other things that he's now mm -hmm. a part with. So mm -hmm. that's great. Actually, I got Will's book right there on my counter. That's there amazing. So that was yeah. his. How funny is that? Small. There you counter. go. So our final final and literally one of our favorite questions, Sabato. So we mm. have a little tradition. Uh, we all do it in our beverage world, restaurant world, hospitality world of what's going to be our final enjoyment uh, cocktail of the evening. Now, Nathan and I, and probably like you said, we love going to the Fernet. We do. So we're going to have to change it up a little bit. John Massey loves going to the Vintage Port, so we're going to have to change it up a little bit. But we're leaving off here. I'm going to add a little curveball here. We're leaving off in fall because our friend Sabato's rolling into the cooler weather now in New York City. 
So the final final in fall will end up with Sab. So John Noble Massey, you're in fall. Maybe you're back in upstate New York and uh, your beloved Hyde Park. What's going to be your final yeah. final? You know, I am never shy about enjoying some caffeine after a really nice meal. And if you prepare for me a nice fresh brewed espresso and then just top it off with just a little bit of Sambuca. Like perfect. it. I like that one. All right. Dodge, what do you got, sir? Hmm. I was thinking nice orange liqueur. Um, uh, that would be nice just to kind of end it off. You know, I do like the Fernet. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Uzo? Maybe a nice glass of Uzo? Oh, no, where did that come Uzo? from? Uzo is great, but, you know. Uzo's great. Nice little licorice. You had a couple. Uh, um, Zambu- Zambuca. All right, what's going to be? Italy, it's not the same thing if you're in Italy, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll get a hate mail yeah. from Lars Light on that one now. Watch. Lars Minnick, I taught you better than that. So that's all good. Sabato, what's going to be that final final? So kind of torn between two things. So I've been really um, digging on Boulevardiers lately. So basically like a Negroni except using um, bourbon instead of the gin, which is fantastic, kind of. Little bitter, little sweet, um, and then I also have like my quarantine cocktail this year. Is I found out that like in quarantine we're in lockdown, and I had this bar cart, and I had all these samples that I'd acquired over the years. Never really been making cocktails at home, always going out. So I said, okay, what do we have on here? And I had a lot of añejo tequila, and I had this ginger syrup. And so um, my girlfriend and I came up with this cocktail. We called it the Zihuataneo. And if you've seen Shosh. Redemption. Yes. And they're saying, you know what? Yeah. Where are you going when you get out of here? We're going to Zihuataneo. And so that was our cocktail. And it was basically Añejo tequila, um, the the gin, ginger syrup from the ginger people, shaken, served up uh, with a, a nice little brandy cherry. And that was sort of that gives that caramely, that sweetness, a little bit of spiciness, mm-hmm. but uh, that that mellow just kind of taking you into the evening. Um, so I'd probably go with the Zihuataneo since that's. Uh, Zihuataneo. Look at I, that. I, that's a I, good I like one. I like the garnish there too. That's a good yeah. offset, I think. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Get busy living or get busy dying, gentlemen. That's yeah, what I got to say good. about very that. Very good. Sabato, thank you very much for the time. Some uh-huh. wonderful insights that you've had. Great to see you, my friend. It's been too long. Maybe one of these days. Actually, we did run into each other in a bar one time. That's for yes. sure. And I, I got to go for all the bars in the world. Uh, so all, all the gin good. joints in the world, yeah. There you go. That's, that's how it works. So uh, Nathan Eugene Dodge, any closing comments, sir? You know, just my normal, make sure that you do follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, everyone, please drink safely. And, um, you know, see you next week. Perfect. You got a Chef John Noble Massey. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's be sure to say bonjour to our French listener. Oh, yes, bonjour. Okay. And, we have one who uh, follows us religiously. So we love hey. We don't even know what and, it is. And your reminder to still please... If you have a moment, please rate us. Uh, those ratings mean a lot to us. So we'd love to have you rate us. And fives are always preferred. Perfect. All right. Sabato, we owe you a drink next time we're up in the big city to see you, sir. Look forward to it. Absolutely. Right. Thank you guys very much. And, of course, if you need any further information on the Bacardi Center of Excellence, feel free to reach out to me at bconnors at fiu.edu. And we'll definitely point you in the right direction. Until then, we hope to see you soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you. That was good.